Buckeyes beat the ever-living daylights out of the Badgers, a 52-21 whipping in the first Big Ten game of the season. We'll break it down and talk about what's coming down the pike when the Scarlet Knights come to town in this edition of the 11 Dubcast. I'm Eddie Vance along with Johnny Ginner. Johnny, the first game of Big Ten play, always a hype fest. So much so this season that they did it under the lights at night, prime time, big time battle. Oh, and a blackout to boot. Was yeah. this game as good as the billing? Well, I mean, the opponent wasn't, at least in terms <laughs> of what they're trying to do. And look, Wisconsin, I mean, all of their defensive backs were like basically in traction. Um, Graham Mertz is terrible. I mean, holy crap, what a bad He, he really is terrible. He's bad. And you know what? And well, Ohio State Ohio State made him look bad. No, no. I mean, they they did well. And especially considering Ohio State was down, you know, two starting cornerbacks. I thought they they played pretty damn well. But no, Graham Mertz is just bad. He's just a very bad quarterback. So they did what they had to do, which is rely on Braylon Allen, who, you know, outside of the one really long touchdown run, I think they reasonably bottled him up. And uh that's it. I mean, they the first really that first quarter. You know, Ohio State comes out and is just utterly unstoppable. And after that, I you know, the rest of the game was just kind of perfunctory. Like, you know, you knew exactly what was going to happen, right? Like, yeah, there was, I mean, there was no drama after that. Like you say, that first quarter was just a thing of beauty. I I mean, between it was perfect. The execution, Ryan Day's play calling, the defense shut them out, everything you could really, really want. I mean, 88 yards. Six plays on the opening drive. You get that 18-yard pass to Route Man Marv. You got a 22-yarder to Cade Stover, the greatest yeah. tight end in the history of tight ends. 33-yarder to Emeka Buka. I mean, you had you had Stroud looking like a Heisman Trophy winner. Yep. You had Route Man Marv looking like the greatest route runner in history. And and Cade Farmer Cronk Stover. We'll talk about that nickname later in the program, maybe. I, I mean, it was just brilliant. And yeah. I watched that first drive and you're like, this is the offense that was promised. <laughs> yeah. You know, just well, that, that offense that could do no wrong. And I mean, and really, and, and you're, and again, it's talking about injuries. You're down Jackson Smith and Jigba, but guess what? There's a Mecca Vuka who's just going to come back and then, you know, have 118, 120 yards, whatever of, of, of receiving and two touchdowns. Like it doesn't, doesn't matter. And one of the things that I tweeted out during the game, I was like, this is just math, right? Like the Ohio state's offense, has an inevitable conclusion to what it does. Like there's no, you can't argue with math. You can't say like two plus two equals something other than four. And when Ohio state is doing what Ohio state does on offense, the end result is six points. Like that's just how it works and you can't stop it. You can't do anything about it. Um, So to me, they just seem utterly inevitable on offense when they're that good and that focused. And again, have they played like, you know, world beaters? No. But to me, this just seems like a really logical, uh, you know, math problem that that I don't know who's going to be able to solve otherwise. It it, it looks really daunting right when now. When you talk about the math problem, I I am transported immediately back to purple face job Josh Brolin as Thanos. Yeah, I am inevitable. Yeah, I mean that's what it feels like when you watch Ohio State's offense just cramming the ball down the throat of a defense that it is inevitable that they will score. Yeah. Uh, what punted one time all night, I think uh, just utter, utter dominance. I mean, the third quarter at seven points looks like a disappointment, 
by comparison, right? I think that was that was not a great quarter, but uh, the rest of the game I thought it was really brilliant. And the defense, uh, other than again the fourth quarter when the game was well in hand, mm-hmm. Jim Knowles. Uh, I mean, talk about a defensive turnaround. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing, though, because no, Wisconsin does not have a great offense, but it didn't it, last year that didn't matter, right? Last year, everybody was no, everybody, everybody scored against Ohio State last year. Right. Everybody got yards against Ohio State last year, right? And, and, and that's for a team not like, happening. you know, and you hold a team like Wisconsin to, you know, five and a half yards uh, per carry and, and keep them out of the end zone for, mm-hmm. you know, in, a, in essence, 45 minutes of the game, like that's a big win. Yeah. To me, that's a big one, particularly when you're looking at um, you're looking at a unit that itself was down several players. You know, walking wounded. What they said two or three times during the broadcast: three scholarship cornerbacks available to play. Right, Denzel Burke out, Cam Brown out. Yep. Uh, so that that to me made it even more impressive. Well, like you say, Mertz wasn't exactly going to light up the secondary. Uh, that's what he's probably what two and seven now against ranked <laughs> ranked opponents. I mean, it's mm. pretty bad. Uh, let let's let let's talk about um some of the things that came out of the game. Ohio State head coach Ryan Day said after the game it was one heck of a win against Wisconsin. I certainly think that it puts Ohio State's conference opponents on notice because who are the teams left in the conference who are going to be as good? as Wisconsin so far. I mean, if you're talking about their upcoming opponents, yeah. I don't, I mean, God, that's the thing is, is that the Michigan Big Ten is so I mean, Michigan's the obvious right, right. one, right? Right. The big 10 is so top heavy. And the other thing is that you look at some of the teams like Michigan state, for example, right? Michigan state was supposed to be like, okay, you know, Wisconsin, maybe they are having kind of a down year that we would really notice who they're Michigan state was supposed to be at least a known quantity. And that does not seem to be the case anymore. So I don't know, like Penn state and then Michigan, uh, I guess. Iowa's defense will be good. <clears throat> Iowa's defense will be good. I think. Yeah. That'll but who cares? Like, because you can score, you can score. Cause, cause I was not, cause I was not going to score. <laughs> no, you can score. You can score a touchdown and you're, you feel pretty confident about how the rest of the game's going to go. So because Iowa's offense has set the game of football back about 78 years. Yeah. And they're not going to figure it out. They're going to get worse. So I don't know. I mean, Maryland, maybe, but like yeah, Maryland it, should be an interesting game. I, I think Maryland's offense versus Ohio State's defense. Let's put it this yeah. way. It's not going to be Rutgers. Uh, no. It's not going to be Rutgers. Up. It's not going to be Northwestern and it's not going to be Indiana. Um. Yeah. So I don't know, man, like I, that's, that's, I think a very valid point. You basically got two teams here that can, you know, maybe give Ohio state some mess. Now, what I will say is that, you know, earlier in the season, I was not nearly as um, concerned, I guess, with the Penn state game as I had been uh, maybe in past years, although Ohio state has really dominated that, that rivalry in the past decade. But um, I think that's a much bigger game now and, and just kind of getting a look at Penn State. Again, I don't think they're great. I don't even think they're as good as Michigan, but um, that's a pretty big game, I think, in late October. That'll be an interesting one to watch. Yeah, I, I agree with that. You know, when you get a win over Auburn. Um, mm-hmm. but, not, and they dominate. A, I mean, they kicked the absolute Not, crap not a great team, but they. No, yeah, but they, exactly they went right. down there and they beat the, the tail out of, out of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and did it down there. That's, a, I think, a, a good point. But yeah, you're right. A 30-some point victory or 29-point victory, something like that. Uh, and, and otherwise, they haven't really played anyone yet. Uh, Central Michigan, OU, uh, and Purdue. Yeah. So, you know, not exactly a murderer's row. Um, 
and that is another interesting thing too is that Ohio State's schedule I would say is not necessarily the toughest in the universe but it does seem like it's a fair bit tougher than most of these other teams that they're going to play you know we, mm-hmm. we've, t- we've been laughing about Michigan's strength of schedule um a fair yeah, bit we can get during. to those guys a little bit later <laughs> yeah, that was we, very we, interesting we will but I like using them. that as a as a case study it's you know Ohio State's schedule it may not be the toughest in the country, but it's at least respectable, I think. Sure. In terms of being able to see. But but I think they're that much better than uh, the teams ahead of them up until that last game of the season. Like I say, we'll talk about those guys later. Things yeah. that I, I thought was interesting. I mentioned the cornerbacks. Tanner McAllister. Did anybody have a better game from out of nowhere than that guy? No, I mean, he was he was all over the place. And the thing is, I mean, I don't think he's been bad. I just, you know, he's been solid and, and done what he needs to do. But they definitely had him out in coverage a little bit more. And um, I think that paid dividends because, I mean, obviously there was that one crazy play where he prevented the touchdown, basically, uh, with his just, you know, time, absolute perfect timing hit on the receiver uh, to knock the, knock the ball loose. But honestly, like J.K. Johnson, did great. Josh Proctor comes back, has a great game. He really um, did. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and then of course, like again, I continue to be amazed, and I think it's hilarious that Tommy Eichenberg is as good as he is. Fourteen tackles. He, what? He's, the, he's the best guy on that side of the ball. He I really mean, is. He, he's the best defender. He is fantastic. And that's uh, hilarious. A, a, a revelation. Great. Hey, and you know, here's the thing I love more about that is is his emergence as the guy, particularly yeah. because we were all kind of like chuckling a little bit during the offseason when you hear Jim Knowles talking about him as being the guy. Sure. <laughs> like, what? Well, that's one of those things where okay, you think Jim. they're just like juicing up because yeah, yeah, yeah. they're yes. really well yes. liked or they're a captain or something like exactly. that. Exactly. And so now I'm like, wait a minute, maybe you can actually trust what this old boy says, this cigar right. smoking vegan when he says it, maybe we could take it to the bank. Yeah. And yeah, I, a, I, I, for one, like that because there's so I enjoy coach speak to an extent, but I'm like, don't pee on my leg and tell me it's raining. Right. And to me, these right. guys do that. Right. Uh, we could be talking about injury. We'll come back to that. Uh, but, but Knowles saying this is the guy and then him turning out to be the guy. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And, and I also love, you know, like steel chambers, for example, I think playing very solid linebacking. Like he's, yes. he's doing an excellent job. I really like, I don't think it was this week. Maybe it was last week, but they asked him about, um, you know, who he, his identity, like who, who were you? Uh, like what, what, what kind of running back were you? And he was like, not a very good one, apparently. <laughs> Which I thought he was fine when he got in and spot duty, but clearly he's making an impact at linebacker and doing what he needs to do. Whoa. Um, so, you know, defensively, they've got dudes and in, in good spots. They're playing well. You know, you still have Mike Hall, who didn't have as big a game against Wisconsin. I think Sting still played really solidly. Um, I mean, defensive line, we talked about this actually before the beginning of the season. The defensive line is just under this system. They're not going to be uh, the big time you know, playmakers in general that you would have with with uh, Chase Young or the Boses or things like that. It's 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 aligned differently. They're 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 feeding to the linebackers and that's why you're that's part of why you're seeing guys like Eichenberg and Chambers get so many tackles because that's what this defense is designed to do. Um but that doesn't work unless you have a guy who can make those tackles and like I said both of them are playing really really well. Um but yeah, like I said, I, I love seeing Josh Proctor get back in there and have a great game and and the you know the backup DBs get in and have a great game. So you know, that's I would say that this was an ideal situation because you're under the lights, you're at home, everybody's hyped up, you got an alternate jersey game, you're playing a quarterback who sucks. 
So all of, in my opinion, all of these stars kind of align uh, to really help out some of the younger guys really show out and, and put them in a good position to play. And they did. And it was a great game. And there was no drama, as we said. But it was it was fun to watch. I liked it. Yeah, I very much agree. Things things that I really liked was seeing that when you talk about the Steel Chamber story, <laughs> and we could be talking about Cade Stover as well, where you have these guys on the roster who have like been in this position and then that position and then this position, and they've kind of bounced around. And normally you'd say, what the hell is going on here? But I think one of the things that I've come to appreciate about those two guys' stories and, and them doing well where they are now is, let's face this, Stover was like, Recording tackles as a linebacker in the Rose Bowl. Yeah. And now, you know, I'm not necessarily tongue-in-cheek saying, is this guy the best tight end that Ohio State's ever had? Because <laughs> he just has looked fantastic in these first four games. So the thing that I've really come to appreciate about his story and the Steel Chamber story is what it says about the developmental capabilities of the coaching staff at Ohio State, that they can take an athlete, see them real, you know, sometimes I think as an athlete or, or any professional walk in life, it's hard to read the label when you're sitting inside the bottle. So, so one of my favorite lines is from a, an author named Roy Williams. And and what he means is that sometimes you're too close to the situation to really be able to understand what the hell's going on. So to have a coach look at you as a player and say, you know, I think you would be a much better tight end than you are a linebacker. You know, I think you would be a much better linebacker than you were a running yeah. back. And then to be able to develop you. And your skill set in a relatively short period of time to where you really are very good at that position is, I think, a really incredible thing. Yeah, well, and I also I mean, I think you also have to give it up a little bit to the players as well. Just in, I mean, you know, Kate Stover, Mr. Football, right? Like in Ohio, yes. I think in what, 2018, something like that. Hmm. Like these are guys who are just next level athletes and the, Absolutely. The, the people that they're recruiting and bringing in. It says something about the kind of athlete that they are, that they're able to make that transition. Right. And, and make it seem like, oh, it was the most natural thing in the world. Why weren't you doing that in the first place? Um, that's hard to do. That's really hard to do. And for both, I agree with you though. The, both the players and the coaching, it's got to work in concert because you could have the best athletes in the world if they don't know what they're doing on the field because their coaches are idiots. That doesn't mean anything. And and in fact, we've seen that, right? Like we've seen that in a lot of high-profile schools where they have all the talent in the world, but just morons coaching them, <laughs> and and they just have no idea what to do, and they don't, they're not successful, and you know, vice versa. You sometimes you can have some like really great coaching, but they just don't have the they don't have the dogs in the and the barn or whatever tortured analogy I'm trying to make here uh, to really, you know, weaponize what they can bring to the table. And I, you know, and maybe Jim Knowles kind of feels that a little bit where he's like, holy crap. Like, and we, you know, we would get quotes from him where he's like, I haven't really worked with this level of athlete before. And that feels a little bit like a slight to Oklahoma state, but uh, it's also true. It's also exactly true because the recruiting rankings don't really lie when it comes to that. So. Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. And you, you also look, I think too, to see Ryan day as the CEO of this organization, you know, he really kind of blew things up and, and we, we can't really do the postmortem on the season till after the, the, sure. the playoffs here to, to say, okay, did it work or not? But through the first four games of the season, you know, he really kind of blew up the staff, right? Larry Johnson being the only guy he retained on the defensive side of the ball. And and given walking papers to Greg Stadrawa, who had been with the program for quite a long time and seemed to be, you know, acquitting himself relatively well as a as a position coach. And yet 
when I watched Ohio State's offensive line against Wisconsin, a team that traditionally has very good line play, uh, Ohio State dominated the line of scrimmage. Yeah, I think Fry is definitely, I mean, it's pretty obviously an upgrade, I think. At this early, point. Re- early returns, I am just blown away with yeah. the improvement year over year with largely the same personnel. Yeah, and well, and just in the sense that they are just, they're they're a lot tougher than they were. They're opening up, you know, holes in ways that they hadn't before. Um, yeah, I just think in general that the, they're they're playing with an edge they just didn't have. And sometimes, you know, sometimes I think that is a result simply of you know a coaching change, right? Where you don't want to impress a new guy, but they really do seem like they figured out. Because the thing is, last year they were still really good in pass protection. They just yes. they couldn't get it going in the running game, and that just seems to be. That that switch has been flipped, and so yeah, they're and still to, and to have good. the running backs that they had on the roster. Yeah, yeah, and, exactly. and it was like, why the hell can't these guys run the ball? Because you you just sensed it wasn't right that Henderson and Mike Williams weren't good running the ball. Right, it was something else. Yeah, and Chop is you know, I think him and Henderson combined. It's interesting too. I one of the things that I pay attention to really closely during these games is how many carries they're both getting. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Henderson goes out, has a really good game. Not a great game. I mean, 5.8 yards per carry is, is good, but not, you know, amazing. But he's still, he's reliable and was getting, you know, first down after first down to first down. Like, he was not getting stopped behind line of scrimmage. He was doing what he needs to do. And then Chop's out there, what, almost over nine yards a carry. <laughs> but he only carries it 11 times, and that's all you need. So you got two guys who have over 100 yards. CJ Stroud almost gets to 300 yards passing. Like that's you're so multiple on so many different fronts. Um, yeah, it's to me, it's just really kind of remarkable what they're able to accomplish um, with the scheme that they have and the personnel that they have. So it's it's looking pretty good. We're about a third of the way through this thing, and um, I have very few complaints about what, how the football team looks right now. I mentioned uh, Tommy Eichenberger. He was uh, not only. Uh, 11 Warriors player of the game, but also named Big Ten Code Defensive Player of the Week. Yeah, uh, so nice to see Ohio State players getting getting love there. Ryan Day shouting out uh, some of the standout performers, in including Eichenberger, um, as as a leader who was off the charts. The other one of the other guys that uh, Day singled out in terms of top performers in the game that, that we haven't talked about yet this hour, uh, Julian Fleming. Back uh, yeah. from his injury time off, had a pretty good game. Again, I think for the second game in a row, logging two touchdowns. Uh, a guy that we didn't necessarily talk about a lot. And that's one of the things I find really interesting about the situation with he and uh, with Jackson Smith and Jigba being out, that you had the emergence of Emeka Buka, who might have otherwise been, what, guy number four? maybe on the depth chart there on the rotation uh, route man Marv suddenly looks like, you know, gosh, like I say, one, although this wasn't necessarily his best game, he had some fantastic highlights, uh, but was not the number one or two guy in, on the stat line as he had been in previous weeks Yeah, um, where he was just <laughs> throwing off three touchdown games left and right, uh, which is to be expected with the amount of talent that is in this room that one guy isn't necessarily going to be, pumping out three touchdowns every single time they step on the field. Uh, but what I guess what I'm what I'm wondering is uh, what does Julian Fleming's return herald for the end times if you're a team facing 
this inevitable Ohio State offense. Well, I just assuming everybody eventually gets healthy again. I mean, there's only one football, right? And there's only so many plays in the game. And part of it maybe is that Kate Stover is getting looks because, you know, they are somewhat limited in terms of who they had. But yeah, Fleming coming back, if Jason is able to get healthy at some point and come back, I mean, those are guys who are going to get a lot of looks. Um, Abuka, I mean, like, Emeka is just really, really good. And and you could just see that. Like, one of my favorite things about these guys, um, just their ability to get yards after catch. That's I, I love that. I love that they're willing to take hits, right? I mean, and granted, some of those hits are like, okay, Cade Stover doesn't need to be hit that hard. He doesn't need to do a flip and land on his head and, you know, get the ankles cut out from underneath them on every play. Maybe we can try to avoid that a little bit. Um, but yeah, these are tough dudes. And uh, again, you want them to all be healthy, but uh, whoever's out there is going to get going to get looks. And so I hope, I hope that when they're all back and, and this Voltron is fully assembled, that guys like Cade Stover keep getting those, those looks because he's such a weapon. And when they did that, they didn't do the play that has brutalized Ohio State in the past, which is that tight end leak. You know what I mean? Where it's yeah. like kind of a delay and then the tight end like kind of leaks out and that's who they throw. Dude, they did the whole like pass back thing, which for his touchdown, which is still sick. I mean, I still enjoyed that quite a bit. Um, but just once I would love to see Ohio State victimize another uh, school the way that they've been hurt so many times with that little leak play to the tight end. Um, Cause now you got a guy you can definitely just, I think dunk on dudes uh, with that. So, um, but either way it's, it's exciting and fun to watch. So it's been cool. We've got uh, a lot of ask us anything type questions, a lot of them about football, which is great. So I think we're going to spend an extended amount of time on questions from the audience before we get into talking about Rutgers. And I want to do a little bit specifically on the defense uh, as we try to answer the question, did the defense suck 30% less than it did last season? Uh, But this is a good time to remind you that the 11 Dubcast is sponsored by the Dry Goods Store at 11warriors.com. Drygoods.11warriors.com. Hats, t-shirts, stickers, the newest crop of t-shirts just continues to blow me away with the fantastic design. And if you've ever had any of our t-shirts, you know, they are the most comfortable shirts in the drawer, bar none, except no substitutes, drygoods.11warriors.com. Uh, Johnny, we have had a boatload of questions uh, on ye old Twitter. I know you've got a bunch of the mailbag as well. I think what yeah. I want to do here is we're going to split this in kind of two segments. We're going to do football AMA first. All right. And then the literally ask us anything questions. Okay. After that, does that work for you? Yeah, that sounds good. I think All right, it's good. good. The first one, it. first one comes in from our good friend of the program, Bryant, who, who asked what I thought was maybe the $25 million question. And that is how many games would Jackson Smith and Jigba have to miss for him to come back next year? And, and me personally, I would tack onto that, Johnny, at what point does this become a Nick Boza situation? Mm. I, you know, if I'm, if I'm him and there's any kind of chance of, I don't know if there's any chance of it, like being an extended thing where it could cause long-term injury. Cause I don't really, I mean, I don't think anybody really knows the extent of, of what's going on. And maybe part of that is, is the blame when, okay. So let me, let me restart this answer because I don't think this would be as big of a deal or as interesting if Ryan Day 
it's not that he had to be forthcoming because I don't expect college coaches to ever be forthcoming about player injuries or frankly, even tell the truth about them. The problem is, is that if he hadn't come back earlier than people expected, right? Played a little, got hurt a little, and then apparently is out the next week. I don't think that would be an issue if that hadn't happened. Yeah. So, you know, and people's imaginations are like, okay, well, maybe this is a really long-term thing. Maybe this is a really serious injury. And maybe it is. I don't know. Um, but it's interesting to me that people are now concerned about his eligibility and stuff like that because, you know, now the perception is, is that this guy has an ongoing injury or something that he's going to have to deal with a reoccurring thing or whatever. And maybe it's not that. Um but regardless, what I would say is that if it is something where it is that serious, where it is like a Bosa situation, like Bosa, then take, you know, sit out, do what you got to do, get your money, right? Because you're still going to be a valuable commodity in the draft. Um, but on the other hand, if you can get back on the field quickly, like, and by quickly, I mean within the next, you know, two or three weeks, then I think you got to do that. You know, if, if you can make an impact for Penn State, then you got to do that. You got to get back in it and win it and and hopefully continue throughout the rest of the season because he's he's a really valuable part of the offense and can make a huge impact on a game. Let's let's phrase this question or frame this question a, a, a slightly different way. Same question, but slightly different um, um, framing. If he doesn't play anymore this season, let's say, mm. for example, let's let's say that it is a lingering hamstring issue you can't get back on the field, uh, you know, two, three, four games down the line. He looks and says, geez, I'm just going to, I'm just going to wait and yeah. go to the draft to do the Nick Boza thing. Is he still a first round draft pick with essentially no film from this regular season to speak of? Mm, I don't think so. I think he would be a lock for the second, um, but I, I don't think he would be a first round draft pick just and because... And see, in my universe, if you if you know you're a first round lock, you go. Yeah, yeah. But if you have any question, then well, it depends probably. on how it depends what your injury is, though, right? Like if if <laughs> you know if your worry is is that hey, you know, I'm a little gimpy, and uh, if I go back for another season in football, mm-hmm. right, in college, yeah, right, not right, getting right, paid right. like in the NFL, right, then I'm hurting my bottom line. So I'll, maybe I'll take the money when I can take it. So, yeah, good question. And, and, uh, lots of, there's lots of attendant what ifs to this question, like does NIL change the complexion of that decision? Now, nobody is making $24 million guaranteed or, you know, whatever the, whatever a first round draft pick, you know, top five, top 10 pick is, is paying these days. Uh, you're not getting that out of NIL, but if you're no longer worried about, you know, are you going to buy your girlfriend some flowers on mm-hmm, Monday mm-hmm. after after the game? Then maybe you're maybe you're more willing to stay. I don't know. Good question, Bryant. And Bryant's got a uh, a few more. The next one he asked, which I loved, uh, because at the time he asked it, <laughs> it, it got answered shortly thereafter. Will Ohio State throw to the tight end? <laughs> yes, <laughs> that apparently came, that came early in the game, and I think I think it was answered emphatically. Because uh, Kate Stover had a fantastic game. Um, the other two questions Brian has are are true. Ask us anything questions. You got anything super football 
related in there uh, in in your side of the mailbag. Yeah, and by the way, I want to remind you that you can send us questions to both. You can both hit us up on on Twitter, right? We'd love to answer questions on Twitter and hear what you have to say on on that uh, fine website. Uh, but you can also send us questions to dubcast at elevenwarriors.com. Um, so I'll tell you what, let's we do have some like specific football related things, right? And then yes. we've also got some like ancillary things. Yes. So uh let's go ahead. Let's let's stick with like let's let's start specifically football related and then kind of work our way to yeah. the ancillary stuff. So this is actually uh from Kevin uh, about Toledo, who he says was a snoozer. If Ryan Day evaporated tomorrow, so he just poofs into thin air, uh who would be the next head coach at Ohio State? And you can't say fickle. Oh, oh, okay. So I was going to say fickle. <laughs> that was that was literally my answer. Yeah, was was fickle. Uh, Brian Hartline. You can't say fickle. Hey, Brian Hartline. I think it's Brian Hartline. You know what? I here's what I think. I think that if something like that were to happen, there's precedent for this, right? So I think that it might be if it if if he evaporates into thin air, like like just turns into water vapor, right, and then goes into nowhere. I think it's got to be Larry Johnson. I think that's what's going to happen. Not because that would be the long-term solution. I, yeah, I, I think, sure. I think Brian Harley, but if it, if he literally just evaporates into nothingness, I think Larry Johnson would be the guy with the gravitas and the respect to kind of keep that thing rolling. Yeah, um, I would I would follow Larry Johnson, you know, into the seventh circle of hell. So I, I get where you're going there. The other interesting, in terms of current staffers, the other interesting wrinkle is who's the guy with, head coaching experience on staff and that's <laughs> that's kevin yeah, wilson yes true that's true don't be don't be don't be poo-pooing the greatest tight end coach in the history of of sport man <laughs> i just i don't know i don't know that ohio state in terms of like <laughs> you don't see it happening well i don't know that the university of ohio state ohio state university um will look at a guy like kevin wilson and go yes this is the man we want to be the face of our football program <laughs> thank you terrell for the uh university that's right of ohio university state of ohio state, state. i thought i'd throw in there that's good um uh, all right this is from matt in minneapolis here uh guys what's it going to take to get nike to give the good guys a liquid metal helmet on the standard uni kit uh, he's been banging this drum for years and he think yeah. it would look super cool. And his uh, son, Karen also agrees. Can you guys help me get this idea rolling? I don't like Chrome helmets. I don't like liquid metal helmets. I think they look dumb. How about that? Sorry. I am almost old man yells at cloud when it comes to alternate uniforms in general. Yeah. I will say the, uh, cocaine whites were absolutely White's not a official or high state color andy uh, i'm sorry you can't <laughs> like it because it's not it's not scarlet or gray so, so. I, it, it was I, I guess close enough to the road whites that i was good with it um and it just looked clean as can be yeah but white's uh, not I, an official really, color well, black's not either so you well that's it's okay it's okay you to know. say you don't like the black uniforms because black isn't an ohio state color but I, I must say that they did look good on tv saturday night they looked really great they looked really good far cry from some of the some of the throwbacks they did you know there were those years where they did the throwbacks to you know yeah some were dumb some of them you know a couple of them looked good most of them were like yeah this is weird let's never speak of this again like the year that they the year they were trying to do like the faux leather helmet thing yes the one was like the cannonball helmet that was I don't know why they would revive the worst Ohio State helmet. That was weird. <laughs> it's like, what are we doing here? Also, like, 
Hey, remember when we used to put the padding on the outside of the helmet for some reason? <laughs> that was a really great idea. <laughs> the, the, the alt, the quote unquote alt uniform that I loved, and it's not an alt uniform, but the best uniform that they've done, I think, in my adult lifetime. Well, I shouldn't say it that way. I shouldn't say what I call the modern era. This is a question we should debate sometime on the episode one time. I, I, refer, I referenced Jim Trestle's arrival at Ohio State as the beginning of what I call the modern era of, sure, I think that's fair. of Ohio State football. And, and I had somebody call me out and say, no, you know, really, John Cooper, because he brought you know, Ohio State sort of back to this national prominence and, and changed the recruiting game and so on. And, and my, the reason I always make the Jim Trestle era the start of the modern era is because he really changed the game when he made Ohio State one a national title winner but two mm-hmm. just this absolute dominant force in in the Big 10 the, the the and not just the Big 10 but the rivalry the resetting yeah. Yeah. of the rivalry was to me what because what's it been since 2000 it has been all Ohio State yeah with a couple of random and I do mean random Michigan victories in there yeah, no, I, I would agree with that. It's not necessarily about attitude. It's about results. And I think that's pretty pretty clear demarcation line. Um, okay, so this one here, let's let's do this one here. This is uh from the biggest Ohio State fan in Hobstadt, Indiana, Abe Keisel. I'm probably pronouncing all of those things incorrectly. Um <laughs> please correct me if I'm wrong, Abe. Um, okay, so longtime listener, first time caller. In my opinion, one of the many great things about 11 Warriors is that you seem to wear your Ohio State fandom on your sleeves. I think this is different from other outlets who purport uh, to be more objective in their Ohio State analysis. Do you agree that you are fans reporting on the Buckeyes rather than merely reporters? Interesting question. Here's what I would say we have both fans and reporters on the site. What I enjoy about 11 warriors. And I feel like it's pretty easy to tell the difference between the two. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also think it's important to understand the difference between the two, mm-hmm. but we do have dedicated reporters, beat writers who have a beat recruiting, basketball, football, all that kind of stuff who are very, and, and you, even you, Andy, right. With the, with yep. the, uh, the wrestling team. That's right. Um, who are very well tuned in connected with the team, but also are able to report, I think pretty objectively and not in a fan way. Yes. Um, I'm not one of those guys. I mean, you go into the press box of a football game and there are people who are like, you've got a red shoelace on like, how dare you, you piece of crap? Like you can't, you can't be showing that. On the other hand, it's really bad form to be like screaming. Yeah. Yeah. I love it at, in the press box. And I think the problem is, is that, there's always this push and pull between uh, reporting something authentically and honestly, and then the people who are reading it, who have their own idea and impression about how they want that content to be delivered to them. And and the issue becomes sometimes when you're reporting something that people don't want to hear, right? And you've got You've got a couple choices. You can go the super Homer fan route and just basically write whatever you think fans want to hear. And there are some outlets that do that and mm-hmm. and who do it in a really dishonest way. Mm-hmm. Or you can try to be as objective as possible and actually do your job and be professional news people. And I, I think by and large, uh, Ohio State has a pretty good core of reporters, including at 11 Warriors who, who you know do do that on a regular basis. 
I know like I'm a fan, right? Like I'm a guy, I'm not, I'm not a reporter. I'm not a professional beat writer or anything like mm-hmm. that. Um, but there have been times when I have had to like write about particularly, I mean, most importantly, probably when Jim Trestle was on the verge of getting fired and I was the one writing the skull sessions and writing a lot of the um, breaking news and stuff that appeared on the site. And I had to do it as objectively as possible. And in my gut, I was like, no, this is terrible. This is stupid. I can't believe this guy would be shit canned for this. But in reporting on it and writing on it, I had to be frank and honest about the likelihood that it would cost him his job. And if I didn't do that, I wouldn't be doing my job. Um, so I, anyway, to answer your question, this is long, long answer. But my point is, is that I think you can be fans when it comes to things like a podcast or an opinion piece, which I, again, I write a lot of. Um, but when you're actually reporting on the news and on the team, you've got to be object as objective as possible. And if you're not, you're not being honest with yourself. And I think you're doing a disservice to the the people who are reading you, even if that's not necessarily what they want to hear or how they want to hear it. Yeah. Uh, and, and I would use the example, you know, there was a, uh, situation with a former you referenced me covering the wrestling beat mm-hmm. and a situation with a former team member uh got in trouble with the law a really nasty situation i yeah. had to cover it yep. uh wrote you know wrote the story followed it very closely um and i had a friend you know say to me gosh you know did you have to did you have to write about that and the answer is yeah yeah i did and right. and you know it's not it's not my job as a reporter to carry the water for the program, uh, even, you know, even as an openly, um, you know, I'm, I'm very transparent about the fact that I'm a graduate of the university and, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> hope my child goes to Ohio state someday and I'm sitting in a room with Ohio state memorabilia on the walls and so on. But when you put on your reporter hat, it's very different from when you're putting on your podcast hat and, you know, and, and what you and I do here, you know, we're a couple of guys talking about sports it's you know we're we're not um we're not the beat writers covering the team but when i put on my but when i put on my reporter hat to cover the wrestling team that's a different thing right it is not my job to be the cheerleader for the program even though you know you certainly like (laughs) when the team does well it's more fun to write about the successes than it is the bad things, mm-hmm. but you have to be objective and cover both things and right. do it and do it well and do it fairly. And the other thing is, is that like, it's difficult to sometimes not even from a fan versus, you know, a, a website perspective, but you know, we're in a business where Ohio state, if they don't like who we are or how we do things, they can cut off our access immediately. Yeah, now, granted, true. there are some outlets who have earned that, <laughs> who have earned having their access cut off through their own actions and they deserve that however you also have to be very careful sometimes about how you approach things and that's that can be difficult as well and so i think sometimes i don't know the way you report things has to be honest it always has to be honest it always has to be forthright um but you also have to be smart about how you go about certain things sometimes and that can be frustrating for someone like me who you know, if I see impropriety, if I see something going wrong, I'm like, burn the house down, man. Like, I don't care. <laughs> right. But that's that's unfortunately not how it functions on that beat, particularly. You, you may know about stuff 
Like you may not like, let me put it this way. Let's say somebody gets injured, right? And you have a pretty good, uh, pretty good idea about how injured that player is. And I'm not referring to anything specific right now. Yeah, this is, this is a hypothetical. This yeah, is yeah I don't a... want anybody to think, oh, this is what's going on with Jackson Smith and Jacob. No, that is not what I'm saying. <laughs> However, there are times where somebody, like, let's say, you know, uh, or have a pretty good idea about how significant an injury might be, but they're playing it extremely close to the vest and they don't want to talk about it. And the player doesn't want to talk about it. Well, there's a couple things you could do. You could start digging and you could try to figure out, you know, via, you know, other interviews or try to finagle it out of another player or something like that. Exactly how injured a player might be. And then you could, and you could report on it and make inferences or whatever, or you can kind of let it be and then let the university decide how they want to, you know, disseminate that information. Is it probably more honest to be like, you know, the the pit bull reporter and, and find out the truth? Maybe. Uh, but is it the best for your ability to access that information? Is it the best for the player, right? In terms of privacy? Um, is it the best for the team injury? I don't know. And and those are questions that you have to be asking yourself as a reporter uh that can get really sticky, I think, sometimes in a way that maybe another beat doesn't like if you're if you're a reporter if you're a beat writer and you're reporting on a public institution right in a lot of ways that's a lot more simple uh in terms of access than uh, it would be otherwise like in the entertainment industry or the sports industry because if something's public information well then you pretty much have a right to know all of it um so i don't know it's it's an interesting tightrope that that our beat writers have to walk. We're lucky that we have such incredible guys writing for us who are, I think, really just absolute pros. Um, you know, I mean, you won't find a single person on the beat. And this, by the way, this this can be a caddy beat sometime. I'm going to tell you what. Uh, I don't think you'll find anybody, for example, who will say anything bad about Dan Hope, right? Like that he's, dude. He's is, the best in the business. He's, he's just... super. And again, I'm not trying to like play down, you know, the, the rest of the guys who are out there, you know, doing what they do, including for 11 Warriors. But like, my point is that these are the all these guys are super just professional in what they do. And I'm just really lucky that we I think we're all really lucky that we have them writing for 11 Warriors because they just kick ass. So and, and I would say this is somebody too. I'm going to add to this, not specific to just sports coverage, but as a student of journalism, you know, studied journalism when I when I finished my degree at Ohio State, but have been have worked in media essentially my entire career. And so I study the profession and find it interesting and think it is, you know, a critical part of, of our world. Uh, and I know it's, it's fun to poo poo the media and the press and so on and so forth. But I think, I think one of the things that we've lost as, as, uh, the internet age has, uh, morphed into this sort of, you know, web 2.0 or whatever, the social media age that because we can disseminate information instantaneously, the traditional media's role is. Uh, gatekeepers not the word that i mean but as the the filter i guess the, mm -hmm. the news there's this concept of news judgment and so when you are learning the craft of journalism when you're learning to be an editor when you're learning to be a publisher honing your news judgment is an incredibly important part of that process not just is this newsworthy but is does this serve does this serve a purpose to break this particular story is with your example of injuries you know what is the purpose here and so being able to you know when walter cronkite's doing the nightly news low those many years he's the most trusted man in america and part of the reason for that trust is because people trusted uncle walter to to tell them what they needed to know sure right you don't need to know 
everything. We sort of has this conceit that we need to know everything about everything all the time. And, and you know, that traditionally was not the way it worked because it wasn't possible to instantaneously disseminate all information to all people all the time. And so the journalist's job in part was to determine and prioritize and present the news in a way that you as a consumer of that news got the information you needed to know. And and I think we've lost that somewhat because social media, you can just fire off a tweet like, oh, so-and-so's injured or whatever it is without that right. exercise of news judgment. Yeah. And it's, it, it's, it is different. And the way that people interact with it is different. Um, but I don't know, that's a really good question. And I, you know, it's something that I think any good news site or, you know, journalists or anybody who's writing about this stuff kind of struggles with on a regular basis. Like, well, how do you, how do you go about this? How do you do this? And I would, um, I would encourage you, I would encourage you to pay attention to sites that one, and, and I would say two things that I, I love about 11 warriors to echo what you're saying is one, uh, the focus on getting it right rather than getting it first. Yeah. That getting it first, I don't think has ever been the, the, the goal is, but to get it right, get it. We get it first more often than not, <laughs> but always get it right. And, and then two, as you said, acknowledging the difference between fact-based reporting and, and opinion commentary. So yeah, good stuff. All right, moving on. <laughs> so real quick though, we got one last one here. We gotta, we gotta get into this. This is last one real quick. This is from Daniel. Okay. Yeah, I got a couple more too. So we're going to keep rolling. This oh, shoot. Okay. All right, quick. All right. So what are your uh, Buckeye football game day rituals? And by the way, his only Buckeye paraphernalia can be worn on game day. Only Ohio centric foods and beverages can be consumed, uh, which is somewhat of a challenge living in North Carolina. So I guess just tomato juice all game. Um, <laughs> Slightly more ridiculous than that is the just before the first game of the season, I cut my hair extremely short and will not cut it again until the Bucks lose the game. Like Samson, um, <laughs> having my hair shorn during the season is my way of mourning and shame of a loss. Oh my god! Wow, uh, that's pretty cool. As the years roll by, my once lovely flowing locks turn gray and loose. The symbolism of shorn hair is being lost. Uh, wow, that's impressive. Uh, I actually don't have any game day rituals because the games that I'm not concerned about, I'm just like, whatever, I, you know, I'll watch it and like, be, you know, have fun and whatever, but I don't attach any stakes to it. And the ones that I am concerned about, I'm far too nervous to like do anything intentional beyond just sitting on the couch and staring, you know, holes through the TV. So that's pretty much it. I also have no real game day rituals. And part of that, I think, is I'm at that season of life where, no two Saturdays are alike. You know, yeah. we we might be at a you know we we might be at a dog show somewhere and watching the game from a hotel room. We might be here in town and have had you know kid activities and been doing homeowner maintenance type stuff and you know whatever else you do on a fall Saturday and watching the game on TV. You know, so there's yeah I I don't have any same same here. I no real uh, game day ritual. Um, Philia, when it comes to the hair though, me amigo, uh, I, I never had what I would consider long flowing locks, mm -hmm. but in my like high school and college days, um, I had pretty great dense hair, not quite Elvis, but like very kind of up, um, you know, this, that's, and it waved bye-bye long ago. So I essentially cut my own hair in the shower every couple weeks mm -hmm. and just take go. my, just take my, uh, wireless clippers and zoom, 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 zoom. Uh, I did go to the barber the one day and he says, uh, how you want it done? I said, uh, shortest guard you got, go get it. <laughs> that's it. It'll work. I mean, if it works, it works. 
All right, so that's what I got. Well, what else? What else we got? All in, right, uh, so uh, we had had one more football related question. This oh, let's is, go uh, from from uh, Casey Tuttle, who asks, "What is the threat level in the cornerback situation?" Oh, geez. Um, I don't know. I mean, if the thing is, like, is there a team that can challenge Ohio State right deep? I mean, that that really is what it is. Like, are you? Is there is there a team where you have to be concerned about that coming up? And the answer is mm, no. Uh, not until maybe, maybe Penn state. I don't know. Maryland, maybe Maryland's kind of got, they got some decent wide receivers, Michigan. I mean, you know, they got Ronnie bell and he's, he's good. And they got some other guys who are, who are decent. Um, but really in the big 10, I don't know. I mean, I'm not too worried about what you see in terms of their, their, the wide receivers. I mean, there, like I said, there's a couple teams maybe, but, uh, if I'm putting the threat level, I'm actually like, if I'm actually going to attach one of the threat level, um, you know, like categories to it, I don't know. I uh, guarded, elevated, maybe I would say guarded. I'm still a guarded. I, I think the wider, I think the the cornerbacks are good and um, secondary is good in general. So I'm a guarded right now. All right, that's going to do it for ask us anything. Great questions, Brian. You did have a couple extra ones here. Uh, what's your favorite color? Mine, Green. scarlet. Green, yeah. green, uh, and and this one I think was specifically for me is do I own an Ohio beef specialty license plate? Uh, the answer is no. Although those are fantastic, I for many many years had an Ohio FFA license plate. However, oh, okay. um, I let it go the last time because my personalization I needed an extra character. Uh, but Sad. I for probably twenty years. Hey, blame the state of Ohio. Don't blame me. Uh, mm-hmm. The probably twenty years. I will. I had an Ohio FFA license plate, and if I had a specialty plate again, that's what it would be again, probably. Is that former Farmers of America? I guess. Yeah, 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 yeah. In my case, yeah. So, no. although no, it still applies. Future Farmers still of America could be future. In you my case, Once because I really came. one of these days, yeah, one yeah. of these days, I intend to have cows again. So yes, there you go. Yes, definitely still future Farmers of America. So good All job, right. good, good job, team. Uh, teamwork makes the dream work. On these, ask us anything questions, and uh, as I say, go to the dry goods store and buy some good stuff. Um. Bryant did pose, uh, this is not a question, but loyal listeners of the Dubcast will know that during the offseason, anytime we talked about the defense and Jim Knowles uh, declaring that we needed to be a top or we would be a top five defense, I maintain that they did not need to be a top five defense. They need only suck 30% less than they did last season. And so each week when I do the debriefing, I've been tracking how close to that mark on a game by game basis are they in terms of uh did they did they achieve holding mm-hmm. the opposing defense opposing offense to 30% fewer yards than they did last year 30% fewer points and it's right now about 50-50 i think uh, both in the Notre Dame and Toledo games the answers were yes and uh, or uh, Notre Dame and Arkansas State and Toledo and Wisconsin they're really close not quite 30% but really close but but so Brian <laughs> sent this handy little table here uh, via Twitter and, and noted the improvement in the defense from week four, 2021 to week four of 2022. Now let's start with the offense here. So if you look at scoring offense this time last year, Ohio state was eighth in the country this year, number three in the country, uh, rushing offense, number 18 last year, this year, number 19, call that a push. All right. Passing offense, number 11 last year, number 11 this year, <laughs> call that a push. And uh, total offense, second in the country last year, second in the country this year. 
Not bad. Not bad. I, I like that improvement in scoring offense a lot up to, to number three there from number eight. But here are here's the real tale of the tape. Scoring defense last year, week four, they were 67th in the country. Oh, my God. Blah. This year, what's your guess? All right. Scoring defense. Where do you think Ohio State ranks this year after week four? Oh, let's see. I mean... Just trying to think of the games. I don't know. I, okay, let's say I'll 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 pick him at like fifteenth, number twenty one. Not bad. Not bad. Okay. Close. Number twenty. So from sixty seventh to twenty first in scoring defense, like that's a huge improvement. All right. Yeah. Rushing defense from eighty second last year to thirty ninth this year. Nice. All right. You know, and I actually thought that would be hard, higher because it feels like you can't run against this defense. I know they've given up some like some some big plays here and there's some chunk plays but it feels by and large like you are not going to run into the teeth of this defense no here's the one that just really blows my mind passing defense last year after week four this defense was ranked 102nd in the country my god that's embarrassing yeah and jim knowles so maybe this relates back to this question about the threat level on the cornerbacks has them up to number 22 in the country Jeez. Wow. Yeah. And I mean, you could say part of that maybe is a result of like, you know, who they've played and whatnot, but that's still I don't know. Toledo, man, you know, we we talked up that uh we talked up that dual threat quarterback. He was a guy that yeah, you know had he took some shots. Uh I agree with you otherwise, though. It's not like we just got done talking about how bad Mertz was as a quarterback. Yeah. Total total defense 89th last year up to number 18. So firmly it's a top 20, firmly a top 20 defense. Are they going to be top five by the time the season's over? Yeah or nay? What do you think? Top 25? Top 20. No, they're top 20 now. Are they going to get to top five? Oh, top five? No, I don't think so. Okay. I, I, right. I think they'll still give up a decent amount of uh, big plays and, and whatnot. But I think they can be a top 15, top 20 team. I think that's, and I think that's, I'll take that. I'll take that any day of the week. I think that's uh, fantastic. Yeah. I absolutely think they can be a top 20 defense. Absolutely. Ohio State opens as a 39-point favorite against Rutgers. Jeez, Greg Schiano coming back to the shoe, bringing his Scarlet Knights to Columbus. Uh, I hate these fat lines. 39 points is that's a dumb. bunch. A bunch. Do they cover Johnny Ginner? Yes or no? Uh, you know what's funny? So I was kind of looking at the stats, right? Like speaking of rankings, Rutgers is uh the ninth ranked defense in the country right now. <laughs> but what? and you're like, wow. Yeah. And then you're like, okay, well, Shiano, they well, they must be good. Okay, but here's what's funny, right? So uh they their their four games so far have been against Boston College, Wagner. I didn't know Wagner was a thing or I'm still not convinced that it is uh, and temple and then Iowa. Right. Okay. So uh, against Boston college, they only gave up 21 points against Wagner. They gave you up seven points again, not sure that it exists against temple. They gave up 14 points uh, and you're like, okay, well this they're averaging, you know, giving up 14 points a game basically. Right. Um, and then against Iowa, a game that they lost, they gave up 27 points. To the Iowa Hawkeyes? I'm sorry, did you say Iowa? <laughs> yes, at home? So, I don't know. I don't think they're that great on defense. I also don't think that Ohio State is going to win by 40 freaking points. I think that's goofy. Um, so, I don't know. You know what? Just given the limitations of time and space, I'm going to say give me something like, I don't know, 45 to 10 or 45 to 13, something like that. I I am really fascinated to see how 
this one plays out because 39 points is such a fat fat line uh yeah these just always these just always scare me uh i haven't made my official score prediction yet i i don't think they cover that just because it's it's too big um but that said i think they win by 20 plus easily yeah sure easily 20 plus i'm not comfortable predicting a 40 point win against a big 10 opponent yet but it's definitely it's definitely gonna be a 20 plus victory 20 point plus victory uh and we'll talk about it next week Break it all down for you here. The only podcast you need to listen to to know what the heck is going on with your favorite sport. Until next time, I'm Andy. I'm Johnny. Thanks for joining us on the 11 Dubcast. Mm-hmm.